Welcome to the Cure Church Lee Summit Podcast. Here at the Cure Church, we believe Jesus is the cure for whatever you may be going through. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, we pray this week's message encourages you. Father, in the name of Jesus, today, Lord God, as we celebrate everything you desire to do, we celebrate the day of Pentecost. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you will fill this place with your Holy Spirit. We pray no other spirit but the Holy Spirit. We pray every other spirit, the spirit of division, confusion, and chaos must go in the name of Jesus. And we pray that you would have your way, Father. I pray that you would anoint me to speak your word with boldness, clarity, passion, and power. Anoint the ears and hearts of your people. Father, I pray none of us will leave this place the same way we walked in, God, but let there be transformative spiritual growth in each one of our lives. We just pray that you would do what only you can do, God. Bring maturity, spiritual maturity to the lives of your people this morning. We thank you, we love you, we praise you, and we honor you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Will somebody give him radical praise right now? Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Go ahead and find your seat this morning. A little while ago, we spoke on Good Friday and Easter. And I want to kind of take us back to that time. And just to remind us, amen, of where we've been to show where we're about to go. Amen. Good Friday was a day that commemorated the bloodiness, the gruesomeness of what our Lord and Savior had to go through for our sake. Understand it, for our sake. What he had to go through, amen, not because he had to go through it, because there was a punishment for what he did. No, there was a punishment for what we did. And he went through it. And I know, I want you to think about the brutality of the beating. The whip of the cat of nine tails, it literally tore his body apart. And finally, the execution that he endured on the cross of Calvary. After all of this, Jesus hung on a bloody, rugged cross for hours before breathing his last breath and asking this question. Father, why have you forsaken me? And that's a heavy thought, man, to think about them being so in tune, being so one with one another. Jesus saying that I only do what my father tells me to do. I only do what he gives me the ability to do. And them being so close, amen, Father, in all moments of my life, Father, why have you forsaken me? At the most critical moment of his life here on this earth, he was abandoned. Why? So that we wouldn't ever have to be. The word of God declares that He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And the reason that that stands is true for us this morning is because Jesus was already forsaken so we wouldn't have to. Listen, the world may abandon you. That man may abandon you. That woman may abandon you. That situation may abandon you. But God will never abandon you. Everyone else can leave me. Everyone else can forsake me. That's cool as long as I know my Father in heaven. Never will. Jesus' body was taken down from that cross, buried in a tomb purchased by Joseph of Arimathea. But three days later, a miracle took place. Prophetic fulfillment began to take place. 
What was that? He got up. He got up. You know, here's the thing. Man, I say that. And because you've heard it so many times, Christian, you cause it to lose the power that it has over you. It doesn't lose power because it will always have power. But the power it can have over your life, it loses it because we've heard it so much. Never let the words, Jesus got up, be just, oh, I heard it before. Never. Because the moment you do is the moment you lose the ability of that power to take you somewhere greater. Because he got up, I can get up. Because he got up, I can be saved today. Because of that, listen, don't let it lose its power. Mary Magdalene came and she visits the tomb of Jesus. And his body was there. She knows the stone was missing. She run back. She's grabbing everybody else. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 5 and 6, it says the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. This is when she has an encounter with the angels. And the men ask. I feel like I want to do a whole message on this, but the men ask, why are you looking among the dead for someone who was alive? It was almost a rebuke. What are you doing here? Didn't Jesus tell you that after three days he would rise again? Didn't you believe what he said all those years you were with him? Come on, don't you really believe that he is savior of the world? Don't you really believe that he is the son of God? If you believe it, why are you looking in areas full of dead things for someone who's supposed to be alive? It was a rebuke. It wasn't just a normal question. It was a, it was a sharp rebuke. What are you doing here? And it made me think of this. It made me think how so many times we go around and we're looking for something to fulfill us, but we're looking in dead places. We're looking, for, we're looking for that man. Listen, you ain't going to find that man in the club. I want a man of God not in the club. So what you're doing is saying, God, I need something. God, I want something that will help fulfill me and bring a happy life. But you're looking in dead areas. Lord, Lord, I just want a good woman, a good woman of God. She ain't at the strip club. I don't know. What kind of church is that? I'm keeping it real. You ain't going to find her there. Come on, Lord, I just, listen, you ain't going to find it in dead things. Yeah. Man, I just want to forget all my issues. It ain't at the alcohol, liquor store. Yeah. It ain't at the drug dealer. It ain't at the trap house. Come on. Come on, you want life, but you can't have life trying to find it in dead places. He tells them, what are you doing looking for life in a graveyard? says in verse 6, he ain't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? He's not there. Look at those words. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Say no act. He's not acting dead. How could he? His body was pulverized. Everyone knew he's dead. And these angels declared it. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Listen to me. These are some of the most amazing, most impactful words in the entire Bible. Why? Because with this truth that he isn't here, 
he is risen from the dead is what makes salvation possible. If he was still in a tomb, so would we. Paul is where they laid Paul. And that's fine because Paul never claimed to be the savior. Moses is where they laid Moses. That's fine because he never claimed to be a savior. Every other person you've ever read about in the Bible is dead somewhere. Besides Elijah who went up to heaven. But think about this. They died. And if we had the ability, we could exhume their ass, whatever. Jesus ain't there. And if you would be there, we wouldn't be saved this morning. Or maybe you're not saved this morning and you say, man, God is dealing with my heart. You wouldn't be able to be saved this morning if he was still in that tomb. See, these words are what make Christianity possible. That he isn't here, he is risen from the dead. After the resurrection, Jesus shows himself to let his followers know what he told them was true and everything I said has come to pass. I don't know why I need to do this right now. Stand up. April, your mom, your mom, stand up. Lift up your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare your healing power, Father. God, as we declare everything, Lord God, you have spoken, Father, we talked about the gruesomeness and the bloodiness, Lord God, of what you went through, God. You didn't go through it for nothing. You said, by your stripes, we are healed and we are whole. So, Lord, for your daughter this morning, I declare she is healed and she is whole. I pray do a miracle right now in the name of Jesus from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet, Father. Healing power begin to course through her, God. The same blood you shed, let that blood flow through her body right now, God. Father, we pray, do a work. Do a miracle, God. We believe, God, on this day of Pentecost, a miracle still happen. Miracles still take place, God. And, Lord, you can do it, Father. Lord, many said, Lord, if you're willing, heal me. She says the same thing this morning. If you're willing, heal me, Lord. And I pray that you would heal her, that you would touch her, that you would do a miracle right now, Father. This ain't just another church service. This will be monumental. This will be transformative, God. I don't know what you came to church for, but Lord in heaven, I pray that every person that is here will come into agreement right now, God, that she is healed and that she is whole. In Jesus' name, somebody give God praise. That's what it looks like when you go to a church where the Holy Spirit is. And we're not going to block out the Holy Spirit because I got a, I got a, I got a sermon to make. No, no, no. It's about things like that. And we're going to continue lifting her up in prayer until that miracle is there. Until the doctors say, I don't know what happened. I, lo- I love when Jesus does that. Confounds the wise. Amen. Hallelujah. So, I don't know where I was, but I'm just going, if you heard it before, hear it again right now. I have no idea. All right. So, he shows himself. You heard I said that, right? He shows himself. Let him know everything that he said has come to pass. He has this encounter with Thomas, knowing the issue in Thomas's heart. And he shows him, say, hey, Thomas, here it is. You said that unless you put your 
fingers in my hands and the holes. Those you can see the wound on my side, you wouldn't believe. So here, why is that important? Because, man, Jesus knows us. And he knows how much he just wants you to believe. Here it is. So we have that encounter with Thomas. He meets with the disciples who are behind locked doors, and he just walks through the wall. He had another encounter with some disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. And then when they began to eat and break bread, they, their eyes were open, and they recognized it was him. So we recognize that Jesus didn't go from the tomb directly to the throne. Right? He had the ability to, but he didn't go from the tomb to the throne. There was unfinished work to do. Amen? So after showing the disciples who he truly was as a deity, he commissioned and commanded them to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Listen, our job is not to go into all the world and make a church. We're called to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all Jesus remained after he got up from that tomb, he remained for 40 days. Luke, in his letter to Theophilus, God, I love that name, says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised that I told you before. Why is that important right there? Because they wanted to leave Jerusalem. Come on, if it got Peter to the point where he would deny he even knew who Jesus was, out of fear, then trust me, more than just him wanted to take off. But he told them, listen, if you go where I don't have you, you don't receive what I have for you. Come on, how true is that in our life? If you go where I never told you to go, you can't get what I told you I would give you. So for 40 days, he was there, right? And, you know, we can't make any mistake about it. No accident, no coincidence. 40 days? The number 40 is mentioned 146 times in Scripture, church. The number 40 generally symbolizes a period of testing, trial, or even probation. It was 40 days and nights that Jesus was in the wilderness fasting and praying. After being driven by what? The Spirit. The Spirit literally pushed him into this. Why? Why this? Why for 40 days? It was to prepare him for his public ministry. He needed this before he can go out in public and be truly who God sent him to be. Amen? So Jesus spent these last 40 days, like you said, proving that he was alive, teaching him about the kingdom of God, talking to him about the kingdom of God, Teaching the disciples and preparing them. Preparing them for what? If 40 days was needed to prepare him for his public ministry, then he needed 40 days with them to prepare them for their public ministry. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? It's amazing. Even at this point, they're still thinking about worldly things. Jesus rose from the dead, and you're still thinking about we're still dealing with Rome. We're still dealing with their thumb on us and their knee on us, and we're thinking about all these issues. And he said, are you going to free us? Look what he said. Are you going to restore our kingdom? Not the heavenly kingdom, this earthly kingdom. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But 
you will receive power. What is he saying? Don't worry about nothing else. The only thing that you need to focus on right now is this. I'm about to give you power. So when you have power, you're not worried about restoring kingdoms. When you have godly power, you're not worried about people not treating you fairly. You're about to walk into something greater. Why? Because of the power of God on you and in you. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud where they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee said, why are you standing here, staring into heaven? Probably the same ones that told those ladies, why are you looking for life among dead things? They're just rebuking everybody, amen? He said, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So the last words that Jesus spoke to the disciples were a promise, amen? A promise of the Holy Spirit, a promise of power. Now, hear me this morning. It's not just to say, I'm going to give you power so that you can be known as a person with power. That don't mean nothing. But you have to have that power to effectively be a witness to all nations, amen? That, that, that the people may know, amen, that there is a God in heaven who has a son as a savior, and he died for the sins of all mankind, right? Listen to me. It's not enough that you say something that sounds powerful. Listen, I can study and come up with some revelation, like, oh, that's powerful. It's not enough that on the outside you look like, man, that woman of God got power. That man of God has power. Don't mean anything. Looking like I got power, saying something that sounds like it's power, it really don't mean nothing. It starts meaning something the moment I can start committing acts of power. Why? Because the moment I begin to commit acts of power is the moment that someone else's life is impacted by it. Come on, you got to hear me this morning. See, when God uses us to lay hands on the sick and say they recover, or God uses us to be a witness to somebody gets saved. We're walking in power and acting that power out. But it's not so that we can say, ooh, look at me. I have so much power. It's so that someone else may be impacted by that power. So it's not enough to me just sound powerful, look powerful. If there's no acts of power, it don't mean anything. You can study. You can pray all the time just to say something powerful, sound good. But listen, man, the moment you begin to do things of power is the moment you're tapped into that Holy Spirit power we're talking about. In verse 13, it says that after Jesus ascended, they all retreated to the upper room of the home they were staying. Most scholars, when he studies, believe that this is the same place where they're gathered in this upper room. It's the same place they had the Last Supper. Why does, it, why does that mean anything? It's amazing because things that represent what seems like the end, God can use for a new beginning. One shut door could be the only way a new open door could have been opened for you. See, I I don't know what in your life seems like, well, this looks like finality. This looks like the end. This looks like it's over. Listen to me. God can use those things that look like it's final, it's over, it's done, and he can use that as something fresh for your life. Come on, we we could be so upset and so bothered, you know, say say someone left you. Praise God. I'm not talking about if you're married. We ain't, you know, listen, we'll go talk in my office after that. Listen, I'm talking about you in that relationship that you know really ain't God, but you're holding on for dear life. Hey, babe. 
When that thing is over, praise God. Because what looks like was a finality was an open door to the right person that God might have for you. Oh, man, I got three claps. Listen, it happened to me. I lost a job. Thought it was over. Oh, my God, so bad. Only to get a job a couple weeks later that paid me double. So what looks like a finality, what looks like is over, whatever represents an end, God can use as a beginning. Amen? Amen. So in this upper room is this location for the most transformative move of God that these disciples would ever experience. Let's read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Today's the day, church, we celebrate and acknowledge the day of Pentecost. But what makes today the day of Pentecost? What makes this moment they were all gathered 120 in this upper room? What makes it the day of Pentecost? At this time, they had been in the upper room for 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus had been around for 40 days after he went through what he went through, right? So in total, there were 50 days between the time of Jesus' resurrection and this very moment that we're reading about right now. The number 50 in the Greek is the word Pentecanta, which is where we get the word Pentecost. So if we were to get the full understanding, it would read more like this, that on the 50th day, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They want to make sure we understand that it's not because we're good, it's because the Holy Spirit is good. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do the things we do. The promise was fulfilled. Each believer was filled with the Holy Spirit, fresh power. As evidence, they began to speak in unlearned languages. And in these languages, they all preached the good news to all who could hear it. Now, since this is taking place in what is called the Jewish Festival Feast of Weeks, there were Jews from all around. Not all Jewish people spoke the same languages, church. Just like we don't all speak the same languages. But they came and they were coming together and all of a sudden they hear these 120 and they're all just speaking but I can hear it in my language. That person can hear it in their language. And whatever language it is, they can hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Power came upon them. But it's only happened for a few reasons, church. One, they obeyed God. When they wanted to leave Jerusalem, they didn't. Why? Because Jesus told us not to. So because we're going to stay where God has us, we're going to get what God has for us. Number two, the Bible says that they were in one accord, meaning this, meaning they were united in what they were there for. I want you to think about this. If you don't leave, and if you stay in one accord, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. But what if they didn't leave, but they were arguing with one another, mad at each other? Why does Peter get to preach? Peter sank. Peter did not even know who Jesus was. Why did he get to preach? There could have been that infighting, self-serving. It could have been all kinds of things. I'll tell you what would happen. The Holy Spirit would have never came upon them. But because they were obedient and because they were in unity, the Holy Spirit came. And listen, I'm a firm believer. If we can do the same thing in the house of God today, then we can receive the same power God has for us today. Amen? 
We just have to walk in obedience and walk in unity as a church, and God will do the same thing. Amen? Now, those are the reasons that it was allowed to happen. But what I want to show you what happens because of Pentecost. Who knows that with every action, there's a reaction. Come on. With every action, there's a reaction. What are you talking about? Let me, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Before you got saved, somebody swung on you. Before you got saved, you swing back. It's on. It's popping. Some of you are like, it's still going to happen. It's still going down. I know. That's why I said before you got saved because I got to preach the word of God. Amen? <laughs> Not compromising, guys. So if that happened, because of that action, you would have a what? Reaction. Sometimes the reaction is I didn't think about it. Right? You ever heard yourself say that? Oh, I just reacted. I didn't think about it. Why'd you do that? I, I don't know. I just, I just did it. You do that, I don't know. You shake your hands, I don't know. Like somebody scares you. Like my wife's like that. You scare her, she's going to swing. <laughs> Babe, why'd you do that? There's a reaction. <laughs> no, my wife's like, you shouldn't scare me. It's your fault, amen? So with every action, there is a... Let's do it again. With every action, there's a... Reaction. Thank you, Jesus. You're alive. Amen. The action of the Holy Spirit, the action of the day of Pentecost causes a reaction that we can feel today. Right? So because of that action, we can be confident. We can be bold. We can walk in power. We can walk in authority. Now watch this. Because of Pentecost, the action of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, right? Because of that, a boldness begins to come over God's people. There's nothing better than a bold believer. Peter will always be known for a few things we talked about already. Him sinking like a stone. Jesus, help me. Why'd you lack faith? He'll be known for denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Right? And he denied him because of fear, because of repercussion, because of whatever else is going on. If they did that to Jesus, they might do it to me. But on the day of Pentecost, something happened. Because of Pentecost, because of the action of the Holy Spirit, church, hear me. He had enough boldness to stand up before this huge crowd and begin to preach his heart out. What happened between then and now? The Holy Spirit. That's the only difference. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills him. He begins to preach the word with boldness. People are running to the altar. What must we do to get saved? At that moment, thousands are added to the kingdom of God in one single day. So that takes me to the next reaction. Because the action of Pentecost, this next reaction is now there's a church in which we know it today. This was, listen, the Bible talking, this is the first century church. It's not the temple. This is not what Jesus walked into and began to open up the scrolls and read Isaiah. This is completely different. This is a church as which we know it. The reaction, because of the action of the Holy Spirit, is there's a church now. What does that mean? That means now, all of a sudden, there's a community of believers. Listen, you know what I love about church more than anything? Community. 
that there's people. We can fellowship. We can pray together. Come on, that's huge. It was no longer 120 men and women in an upper room. There are now 3,000 people one day. One day because of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that all the believers, <laughs> all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, communion, Lord's Supper, and to prayer. You know what it shows us? It shows us the church has never been this building. I know in our thinking, that's what we call it. That's, I'm going to church. That's the church. We're God brought my high. Ooh, look at that big church. Right? But the church has never been and never will be a building. We can be anywhere. We ain't gotta be here. We can be anywhere. And as long as we're gathered together in the name of Jesus, church. Church. That's church, man. That's that's what it is. We gather together in his name. Oh, we're going to have church right here, right now, at the park, at your kid's birthday party. Hey, be careful inviting all the church over to the birthday party. We'll have church, amen? Come on, we'll start getting all super religious, hey? No, you don't get this gift. The gift is the Holy Spirit. Kids are crying or mad. They never invite them again. Anyway, so verse 47, <coughs> all the while praising God. So everything they're doing, the whole time, there's a joy in them. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So because of Pentecost, there's a church. Amen? Now here's the next one. Because of the action of the Holy Spirit, I'm, gonna, I'm putting it out there to make sure you're getting it. Because of Pentecost, the reaction is this. That God could actually use my life. This is big, man. Do you know that? That God could use your life? Not only can he, he wants to. If you're not operating in the fulfillment of God doing something in you and through you, you're missing it. You're only getting a little bit of this whole Christian experience. Because, listen, God wants to give you the ability to do great things for him, not for you, for him. Now, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on the way to the prayer room. Saturday morning prayer, 7 a.m. every Saturday here. Oh, is that not the, no, that's just here, not in the Bible. It's here. So they're on their way to prayer, and a divine appointment sits before them. This man says, hey, give me money. And Peter and John say, look at us. He looks up, expecting to receive something, the Bible says. And they say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you, get up in the name of Jesus. And guess what that guy had a nerve to do? He got up. He got up. How did this happen? Because of the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit inside of them. They gave them the ability to believe that we can do miracles. Because, listen, miracles didn't stop when Jesus ascended. Because when he ascended, the Holy Spirit descended. And what gave Jesus the ability to do those miracles in the first place? The Holy Spirit. But now the Holy Spirit is not just for him. It's for all of us. Jesus said, listen, Jesus, and Jesus wasn't like, man, I wish it was only me who could do all that stuff. No, Jesus said, what I've done, 
greater you shall do. Come on, do you believe that this morning? I don't think half of y'all do, though, for real. That what I do, greater you shall do. And man, if you would just have enough confidence to believe that scripture, your life will be different. Your prayer life will be different. The way you read the word of God will be different. Your worship will be different. Everything will be different. You believe God can actually use my life. Because of Pentecost, another reaction is this, that we can now stand for what we believe in. In Acts 7, a man named Stephen is falsely accused of blasphemy Moses and God. Penalty for this is death by stoning. It wasn't true. But instead of trying to defend himself, when Stephen seen this big crowd of angry people come around him, he began to preach. I mean, he began to preach. You know how easy it would have been, church, for him to say, I'm sorry? You know how easy it would have been to say, I won't ever do it again, put that rock down, don't kill me? But instead he said this, you stubborn people, you're heathens. You're deaf to the truth. Why must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestor did, and you do the same thing. The Bible says in an erasium, they put their hands over their ears, didn't want to hear it, ran out, began to throw rocks at them. Verse 55, chapter 7 says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Come on, so many times we're full of all kind of other junk. But Stephen, not full of himself, mm, not full of the world, not full of whatever, full of the Spirit. Gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Listen, he, he could have. I won't do it no more. I'm sorry. Got moved with the movement, movement the, you know, the moment, everything. I'm just, oh, I was tripping. Sorry. I won't do it no more. But he rebukes him. He stood for what he believed in. He didn't care if that ultimate penalty might have been death. He's like, listen, I'm going to stand for it. Why? Because once you're scarred by the gospel, once, once, listen, once you know the truth, you can't be silent. You can't be quiet. You can't pull back. You can't give up. You can't give in. And this world will do whatever it can to try to get you to bow down. But because I know the truth, because the gospel has scarred my life, I will never go back to what I used to be. I will never be the man I used to be. I will be who God called me to be. I will call sin what it is. I will call abortion what it is. Thanks, that's what I was going to call it. I will call it what it is. Because I've been too scarred by the gospel to go back to what I was. How will my kids look at me? Somebody who's flaky in their convictions. The moment, you know, the right moment I might compromise. No. I've been too scarred by this. You've been too scarred by this to go back and start playing games in the world. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Here's another one. Because of the action of Pentecost, we don't have prejudice in our lives no more. It's cold now. Because of Pentecost, 
No believer on the face of this planet should ever utter a word like this. I don't like white people. I don't like black people. I don't like Latinos. Jose, what are you again? <laughs> Hispanic. Okay, I know what it is. I'm just messing with you. Or I don't like Asians. Can I tell you something? With all boldness and conviction, if you ever say stuff like that, you ain't saved. Well, well, well how can you say that? Because if you say you love God but hate your brother... If you say you love God but hate your brother who God made in his own image, you are a liar. The Bible said that. The Bible. I didn't say it. Don't get mad at me. Never coming back. Well, that, hey, close your Bible then because you're going to read the same thing in there. We don't listen. God made it all. God made it all. And the truth is this. They have prejudice in the Bible. The book of Acts, Peter went up on a roof and he was hungry. I don't know why that's important, but the Bible said he was hungry. And he gets on a roof waiting on him to fix his food. And while he's on the roof, hungry. I don't know if I got to be hungry to see a vision from God, but I'm going to try it. I guess before fasting comes in. But he was hungry and he sees a vision. And in the vision, it happened three times. In the vision, God lets down a white sheep with all kinds of animals, reptiles. And the voice of the Lord says, Peter, get up, kill, eat. No way. No way. I've never. He got self-righteous real quick. I've never, ever, 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 ever eaten anything that our laws have said are unclean. And then the word of the Lord said this. Don't you ever call anything God made unclean. Come on now. Now, was God really talking about his dietary restrictions? No, he's talking about people. Because right after that, there was a knock on his door. Three men from Cornelius' house said, God gave our master a vision, told him to come and get you. You would be here at Simon the Tanner's house. And he knew it. He said, I'm coming. He went into a Gentile person's home. They, they, listen, they've never walked into a Gentile person's home. And he walked in. And he began to preach. The moment he began to preach, the Holy Spirit fell upon this Gentile family. And he was blown away. Whoa. So the Holy Spirit is not just for us, for all Gentiles. Let me show you how this works, though. He gets back to the other apostles. And he told them everything to happen. They started, what are you doing? They were, what are you, you, you went into a Gentile person? Are you crazy? You ate, what are you? And he gave them this whole vision of what God showed them. And at that moment, it's like, wow. There was repentiveness. They're like, wow. It ain't just for us. You know how we know it ain't just for them or just for you or just for us? Because the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. The world, not a world, not your world, the world, amen? That whoever should come to salvation, I mean, come to know him and believe in him would have salvation. So, well, I'll say all that to say this. Don't ever think you're better than somebody else. Don't you look down on nobody else. 
Don't matter what their zip code is, don't matter what they came from, no matter what color they are, you ain't better. If you was better than the same blood that everyone else need, you'd be too good for it. You wouldn't need the blood. What else? Because of Pentecost, it's an amazing reaction. Because of Pentecost, the worst of the worst finally have hope. The worst of the worst finally have hope. We talked about this on Wednesday in our midweek service, but Saul murdered, imprisoned Christians. But Jesus chose them and saved them for the purpose of being this great missionary church planner to the point where he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It doesn't matter how bad you think someone is. It doesn't matter what they've done. Come on, I know, I know. People have done some stuff. You're like, I would never do that. So what? They did. Praise God, you wouldn't do it. They did. But the Bible says that his arm is not too short to save. That his ear is not too deaf to hear the cry of those who cry for salvation. Just like Jesus saved you, Jesus can also save them. I'm not saying we want to go out and purposely start sinning and doing dumb stuff. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's some people out there that are broken and hurting, messed up, full-fledged into sin, but Jesus still loves them. And Jesus can still save them. And when they walk into this building, we're not like, look at them. Man, I want to believe that God will bring in every walk of life into this place, amen? I want to believe that God will, come on, man, bring in the drug addict, the drug dealer, the alcoholic. Come on, the transvestite. Everybody stop clapping. <laughs> no, because I know they're not going to stay that way. And I know they're going to find out who they really are, find out who their identity is in Jesus Christ, amen, and be the man of God he is called to be. Come on now. But God can do that with everybody. The issue is we're just too saved sometimes. We can't see what God sees. We don't see that God wants to save that person, set that person free. What else can happen? Well, because of Pentecost, I can finally shake some things off my life. Woo! Come on. Paul, being shipwrecked on the island of Malta, building a fire, a viper rises up out of that fire, snatches onto his hand. Everyone looked around and says, oh, man, he must be a murderer. They did it. He, he's, a, he's a bad man. This is God repaying him. He may have escaped that ship that was heading for prison, but God's going to kill him. I don't know. I mean, I just can't believe that Paul yelled and screamed. Ah! I didn't do nothing like that. I can just believe he like making a fire. Ooh, oh. Went back to what he was doing. And then all of a sudden, their attitude was, well, he must be a murderer to he must be a god. They thought something more highly than what he really was. Why? Because of his ability to shake some things off. Come on, when you have the ability to shake some things off, listen, you will change your identity. You would change, listen, I know we're not doing it for other people, but you would change the way people look at you. Because, listen, right now, people look at you and they think, they're always bitter. They're always mad. They're always bothered. They're always worrying. But the moment I can begin to shake things off, I can shake off whatever happened, amen. I can shake off the disputes in life. I can shake these things off. Why is it important to shake things off? Because you don't want to carry that extra baggage in your journey towards the cross. Come on, I don't, listen, man. I mean, things are going to happen in life. What's the point of worrying about it? What's the point of worshiping it? Making that your God? 
Shake that stuff off. Amen? Come on, shake it off and keep running towards God. Amen? As I close right now, because of Pentecost, because of this action, the reaction is this, that every one of us can finally ourselves be filled with the Holy Spirit. The truth is this. You will never know what you're capable of doing or who you're capable of being until you got the Holy Spirit in your life. Come on, like I said earlier, man, you're a shell of who you could be apart from the Holy Spirit. You're only a shell of it. You may look the same on the outside, but man, when you got the Holy Spirit, there's such a transformation on the inside. The Lord wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit in a greater way. They had Pentecost happen. They were where they were supposed to be. They were in unity. <coughs> and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Can I tell you something this morning? You're where you're supposed to be at this morning. What does that mean? You came to church. And the Bible talks about how in the last days that people were forsake the assembling of themselves together. Some have done it more will than do. Excuse me. But you're where you're supposed to be at. There's some people maybe say, I, I don't find a significance. I stayed up too late. I'm just sleeping here. That means there's no reverence for the house of the Lord. I just want to do my own thing. Eh, I'll catch it on Facebook. Can I tell you something? It's not the same. Well, if, if you're ones who like, you know, you, you, you were watching on Facebook for a while, when you finally came back to church, it's like, whew, it was way better. Why? Because there's community. There's no community on Facebook. But we're, you're where you're supposed to be at. What does that mean? That means you're already one step closer to your act of obedience. That I'm going to church because God wants me in church. And if we can be united, we can have this day of Pentecost experience just like they did. I want the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. Not for my sake, but for yours. That you could be who God wants you to be. You could be here and say, well, I'm saved. Praise God for that. There's so much more. There's so much more to your salvation, just being saved. Because the truth is God wants to use your life to impact someone else's life. Not just to be saved so I can say, well, I ain't going to hell. But are you satisfied with everyone around you going to hell? The Holy Spirit will give you that. He will awaken something in you that I'm going to preach the word of God. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to be who God called me to be. Stand your feet with me right now. Thank you, Jesus. So you may speak in tongues, but there's times that come, man, where I need a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues. That's great, man. But do you need a refreshing of the Holy Spirit? For God just to come upon us. To breathe on us. To fill us anew. Because, listen, man, when things start getting stale in your walk with God, you need to ask God, Lord, refresh me again. You're here at this place. You came. Jesus loves you. 
and he wants to fill you. Whether it's for the first time or for the 20th time, let God fill us this morning. I want to do this. I want you to make your way out of your seat. Come to this altar. And I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to be praying the same thing over my own life. Amen. That God would just fill us. Come on, everybody. Let's go. Let's do it, man. Because I know ain't can one person tell me I got enough Holy Spirit in my life. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Jeremy and Abby, it's so good to see y'all this morning. So good, man. And you, listen, look at me. You've been on my heart. You've been on my mind. But I almost felt like God was like, put them in my hands. That I may deal with them, get them where they need to be at. And it's so good to see y'all this morning. Listen, God has a place for you. Don't run from that place. True growth happens when you get fully planted. Let God do something. Let one Sunday turn into two Sundays. Let two turn into three and on and on and on. That's how you build faithfulness. Amen? I'm not coming down on you or nothing like that, but you guys have been around a long time, even before me. That means something. Stay grounded, man. This is your season. This is your time to rise up. Amen? Amen. Come on, lift up your hands. Don't get tired, man. If you can't, we can't do this. Something wrong. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. And as we pray, I want you to begin to voice these words. Say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And it's as simple as that. When you begin to declare that, that, Lord, I want you to fill me with your spirit, God will give it to you if you really want it. Father, fill us this morning. Come on, begin to pray. Begin to pray right now. Come on. If you speak in your heavenly language, go for it right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's activate something right now by our faith in the name of Jesus. Fill us, Lord. Lord, you came as a mighty rushing wind. And you filled that place. Flame of fire begin to come upon us. Father, in the name of Jesus, if you did it then, you can do it again. So, Father, fill us afresh. Fill us anew, God, right now in the name of Jesus. We pray for more of you. More of you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Fill us, oh God. Fill us now, God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to the Cure Church Lead Summit podcast. If you would like to partner with us, please visit our website at www.thecurechurchls.com and click the Give tab. We thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, Jesus is the cure.